Welcome to the Sanctum. Here we study the mysteries of Dungeon Crawl Classics and Appendix N. With your keepers of mysteries, Jen Brinkman, Mark Bruner, Bob Brinkman. Enter the Sanctum Socorro and be inspired. Welcome to the Sanctum Sigurum Podcast, where we plumb the depths of Appendix N as it pertains to the Dungeon Crawl Classics role-playing game. We're back, and we're here to help you serve these literary offerings at your DCC RPG table. With me tonight are my fellow Keepers of Mystery. We have Keeper Mark. So glad to be here, and in a different format. <laughs> it is, it's wonderful that you survived that weird ethereal trip that, that, <laughs> yeah. with a dying sun and strange things and grooves. Trying a little hard there. <laughs> you were likely to be eaten by a wandering crew. <laughs> and of course we have Keeper Jen. Good evening, everyone. And I am Keeper Bob. Tonight, we return to the library to examine a fragment, if you will. Uh, tonight, we're looking at the unfinished sequel to John Belair's Face in the Frost, The Dolphin Cross, found in the collection Magic Mirrors. Hey, Jen, why don't you tell people a little bit about it? The story picks up the saga of our two protagonists from The Face in the Frost. Uh, Prospero, and to a much lesser extent this time, Roger Bacon. In this adventure, Prospero uh, has... A war has come to the South Kingdoms, and Prospero finds himself kidnapped and exiled on an island. While he manages to escape, he finds himself an unwitting captive a second time, with a situation even more dire. Meanwhile, he is unable to completely unravel why he was captured in the first place. And we don't get an ending because it's a partial wreck. Uh, well, yeah, we get like an ending to part the first, right? I mean, that's... Uh, you know... It, it, so my first thought in reading this was that, oh man, this is going to be so hard to read because it was such a, you know, I, you, there's an intro story in the in the uh, leading into it, which is the the uh, editor who got the copy of the manuscript. Mm -hmm. It has this kind of legacy of, you know, I had these papers given to me by John, you know, it was 20 years ago, I keep them wherever I go, but I can't find you know, all the copies. And I was thinking, oh, my gosh, this is just gonna be such a, like, hidden miss, you know, type of story, but it feels very complete, you know, for what it is. And, and I was really impressed by it page missing every now and then well every once in a while there's like you know in, in like a page missing and but it gives like a brief description and, and usually it's not like a heavy you know kind of component of the plot what it did feel like though was the author wrote with a lot of intent and you know it was very fleshed out 
it almost just like it just stopped, you know, at a point and the rest of the manuscript was, was lost, but it was never written. Right. You know, that, that second half, um, I thought it was really enjoyable. I, you know, just, the, just the, it felt like a really kind of a continuation of the face and frost. And it, it felt very, you know, very evocative of, you know, what, what we read the, what, all these years ago at this point. It, well, it really was a long time ago, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. <laughs> well, and it's it's kind of weird too because you know he had he had started it, he had shown bits and pieces of the the manuscript to people, and they kept encouraging him to finish it. But he was writing he was writing fiction for for young adults. It was doing really well. So he's like, "But the money's over here. I'll come back to this because mm-hmm. this is one of two unfinished pieces related to Face in the Frost." Um. The other one was for a, 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 a one of Lynn Carter's collections. It was going to be called Magic Kingdoms, and the story was two magicians, and it's it's how they originally met. And for the longest time, that, the the Magic Kingdoms was never released. That was thought to be completely lost, and that was only found at Duke University just maybe a couple of years ago. So, mm-hmm. and it's it, it is also unfinished. And the description was it was you know, it's been pitched as a prequel to Face in the Frost, but it reads like a prequel to the Dolphin Cross. So you can see he finished Face in the Frost, and you could see where his mind was, where he was continuing, you know, with those characters. Now I, I have a bit of a confession to make, guys. I remember not being really up on Face in the Frost. You guys loved it, and I was like, meh. <laughs> <laughs> and it felt very Zelazny-ish to me and almost mm. derivative of Zelazny. And I am here to recant that. Um, it may have been contributing factors from all across, you know, <laughs> the cosmos that I wasn't a big fan of Face in the Frost. And now after reading The Dolphin Cross, I would really like to reread it. Um hey. I think that yeah, I, I I would like to reread it too because my memory of it is, in, it was enjoyable. It was not like one of my favorite books, but it was so, you, it was so unique in terms of like it, like how cluttered it felt. You know this like you know this this wizard's world, right? Which I think as I've done things with the different projects, you know, for <laughs> gaming and things like that that feels really lived in and really kind of cool. And anytime you have a book where exactly they down onto like a little boat and they go under, you know, like they escape via, um, you know, a canal or whatever the tunnel system was. That's that's so DCC. So like, you know, in the, in the, the fun of the game. Right. And, and I just remember, I, I think this, the dolphin cross, I think felt because it's so focused on Prospero, it's so focused on that, that his vision, his point of view, it was a different type of book, right? You know, or start of a different type of book, at least. Um, and I'm, I'm really curious to see where it would have gone. And 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 it, it is disappointing that we don't get to see that. But at the same time, it was nice to get back to that world. Nice to get back to, you know, this this cluttered wizard's world, you know, which was a lot of fun in the first book. That's a really great way to put it. I am glad that we didn't have a huge uh, Robert Bacon part. Yeah. Or yeah, Robert I think that... Brother. Yeah. yeah, there's just like a little snippet. And, you know, I, I think Prospero is sort of more of that every man wizard in some sense. Because he's not, he's not reminds he's he's yeah. yeah. you of Rincewind from um, Discworld, yeah. From Discworld, in that yeah. he's always so put upon. 
Uh, he's you know he's having to cut deals with his own magic mirror. Well, stop, stop being weird, and I'll polish you, or or do this, and I'll put something nice inside you, oh magic bottle. I mean, yeah. everything is is a bargain, and everybody's out to get him, and it's so it's so delightful because of that. Uh, it's it's like the story feels like a a lighter take on Roger Corman's The Raven, right? I mean, with the with with the wizard sitting in chairs and dueling back and forth. I don't know. That was pretty light too. <laughs> but but this there's there's this underlying un, underlying sense of I don't want to I don't want to say comedy because I think that that undercuts the the story itself. But there a humor. There's there's an undertone of humor that yeah. runs through this. Oh, you know the Boy Scout knife and all of the and- weird timeless things because he met this wizard that traveled back in time. I, I love them all. I love and the, the language itself, the use of things like hodgepodge or um, higgledy piggledy. <laughs> it really yeah, made I, it approachable, which just stands out in stark contrast to other authors that we've dealt with and worked with uh, in in our hmm, atmospheric times. Right, um, <laughs> the use of the language is almost the antithesis of Vance because there's some kind of made up terms, but you can automatically tell what they're, what they're talking about. You don't have to put a whole lot of brain power behind figuring out what he means by uh, all, all of the hodgepodge or all of the insert childish term here for it. Yeah. That, the, his his style is. You, I'd love to see his children's and read his children's books. You know, because I think that would be an interesting comparison. Because it, I think this is much more of a children's you know type story, right? In in some sense, but it also has these kind of echoes of scariness, right? You know, I think that was a, something in Face in the Frost too. There was a lot of those elements of suddenly it was shift in tone, or at least present something that was, uh, you know, an image that you know is you know, out of tone with the rest of the the description. And and you get that a few times in, in the Dolphin's Cross, I think, like when the face that's in the fountain, you know, has the fountain and it's like this idyllic scene. And then suddenly it starts spewing muck and ooze and, you know, he <laughs> runs away, you know, or the kind of the ghastly image of the, the corpse night, you know, that, that comes out. But all that is like, I think that it, it, it speaks to like, a, a child who's like is going to really be into both the children's language or the you know that kind of light light hard language but also like oh those are the things i really like about the you know the story the scary elements the the fun things <laughs> i this this format is so great because it's so distracting to have like vance come on the screen sorry. Uh, no, this would be idris uh, oh okay sorry yeah the newest edition uh named for margaret st Clair's pen name idris seabright um yeah, I had precarious piles, and I knew they'd be magnets. I should have known better. I apologize. Well, I'm, um, talking about the things that he liked, I was I was reading an old article on on Bel Air's, and is and it is very obvious that he is. If there's any character in this that is a self insert, it's Prospero, because <laughs> Bel Air's interests included archaeology, architecture, history, Latin, baseball, kitschy antiques, bad poetry, visits to the UK. And trivia of all kinds. So, uh, I mean, he's Prospero. It's yeah. Yeah. W- w- without a doubt, right? I mean, <laughs> well, 
And this particular collection, Magic Mirrors, had a really great introduction um, by the uh, one of the editors, publishers of this piece, uh, as well as um, there, there was the introduction, an editor's note, and then the uh, note included from his old editor who had been holding on to the story. And reading the three of those pieces, while I didn't have time to reread Face in the Frost this time around, really put together a fascinating picture of the author himself that I had never taken the time to appreciate. And now I'm like, okay, I, I will read more. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but and it's... I, I am I'm totally on board with those shift the tonal shifts that Mark was talking about, like the vision of Prospero's burned and ruined home. That was oh yeah, horrific or, or and bishop like a, The bishop is a really scary character. I mean, he's he's menacing and threatening, and he's he seems like this kind of you know you don't know where the story ends up because you you at that point you think surely the bishop's going to come back right because that's probably the yeah. major you know villain, but. He is like he seems like this sort of like mo you know powerful in the sense of the the wizard that Prospero had to you know encountered or or defeat with the help of his friend um, first time Pelicus you know, yeah. but the bishop is like this sort of like wow that's a that's somebody who you know puts a a, a, a tone into the story that you know is really intriguing especially I can imagine like as a as a young adult, you know, trying to you know reading that, that'd be that would be a hook uh, for sure. Well, and, and when you when you mention the the skeletal knight, oh my god, the the imagery for it, you know, just not not even that it's it's a skeleton inside there, but it's it's all this hay, and at first he thinks it's a scarecrow until he's kind of poking around and he hears the blade hitting something solid. The all of the all the descriptive language and tone goes from lighthearted to ominous so mm. quickly. Mm -hmm. yeah. But he's still, I mean, it, like you mentioned, it's like, it's got these great, like, you know, elements of, of humor. I, I was like, you know, like the, the parrot that disappears because he learned one of, one of his spells and kept reappearing. I thought that was like the, the cleverest, like, you know, sort of like short synopsis of something that was just like so in, evocative of like a wizard who's sort of like, you know, is careless with his like tools and artifacts and, you know, all that. But it's it's it, it's one of these things like he doesn't he has to like grapple with, you know, these things. And then when he's faced but when he's faced with like real terror, real challenge. He, he's sort of this, you know, person who manages through luck, you know, maybe that's, that's kind of like a DCC type thing, or maybe it's through his own, you know, some ability, some, some, obviously some skill at understanding languages and things like that. But a lot of it is just like, he's just, he's without his spells. He's without his staff. He has to survive with, you know, the barest, you know, sort of magic and items that he has, but he always is resourceful and he's just managed to scrape by. And I, I really like that, you know, about Prospero as a character in the, as presented in this book. You know, he's always getting out of scrapes, um, just barely. You know, and um, and I and I think that, you know, that's a nice, you know, uh, it's a nice progression for him in in this book or this this you know incomplete manuscript. Well, and that that really feels like 
like gaming the way I like to play it, right? It's it's no fun if you know your character is always going to walk away. Mm-hmm. You know, I've, I've, I've always been of the mind that players don't want to win. They want you to beat the crap out of them, leave them bleeding on the floor, and then let them barely win because then it feels like a real victory. And so, I mean, Prospero, every time he turns around, I mean, he is careless with stuff, right? He, oh, I left my staff at the tavern. Well, it'll be okay. If someone messes with it, it'll probably incinerate them. And <laughs> And then you're all but but that's where most of his magic is. So now it's just one thing after another, and it is, it's all his wits. Um talk about scraping by when he's like, Oh, well, I'll I'll pay you in a button. Oh, get out of here. No, no, my buttons are made of gold. I've just painted over them. Let me scrape this off. No, no, was that factual or was that yeah, totally it, a fast talk role? No, it was factual. I, I think it was factual. Yeah, I think it's intended to be factual. And and I thought that was such a clever trick, you know, just like, you know, this this that would be something I could see a player taking just away from this and like, yeah. you know, I'm going to, I'm going to take that. But it, it, it also kind of like speaks to that. I think that, you know, we are players, you know, even though that beating them down is sort of like getting them to the bloody bottom. It's also this kind of idea of like, sometimes the best way to gain experience and survive an encounter is to run away. You know, that's what Prospero is very good at, you know, finding the, the alternative to, like the confrontation or the you know the the direct path because you often see him in in this book at least you know i think i remember some cases that facing the frost like he he doesn't do the direct confrontation maybe you know without the aid of the magic sword i think that's the one time he he kind of uses you know the direct conversation otherwise like escaping from the tavern he's like you know always on the run escaping from the bishop he's crawling through those you know the 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 heat ducts and and things like that and and that's very also you know, role playing, right? You know, it's a good way of teaching people yeah. how to play smartly. Well, and that's the thing. I mean, even even when he's using the sword, uh, it's not really so much a direct confrontation as a confrontation with the villain present, right? Because it's not like he's charging <laughs> in with the sword, going after the big bad. Ah, no, it's like ah, I know how to save myself. I'll sever the bridge. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, just. Yeah, and, and, it even says he he doesn't know the movements as he was dancing with it earlier. Yeah, he didn't know the movements, but he he was just pretending to wield the sword in a little sword fight dance. Yeah, <laughs> and and I love like I and again this is an incomplete manuscript, but I I really love that sort of like oh well the sword the sword's used its purpose. I'm going to throw the hilt away and just like <laughs> it's gone from the story at that point. You presume because it, you know. It's, but I love I love that little detail of like oh you think this is going to be like sort of the MacGuffin right of of the story or yeah. stuff like that way. But it really was just like this sort of like mini arc, you know, getting him through this one this one sort of nasty encounter with the bishop. So yeah, I'm reminded of like an escape room, right? You you find something that's good for one thing and then you're done. Yeah, that's exactly <laughs> what the sword is. Uh, it's a tool it's not a red herring (laughs) yeah but even even the way that that he he, as as he is trapped on an island with a i wouldn't say his his original keeper was it was a cruel or or a harsh jailer (laughs) right it was well the new king says that i have to keep a captive here and the new king says that you are the captive i have to keep so I'm going to bring you a couple books and I'll stop by with some food every couple of days and, you know, sails off. And I just have this, this vision of like the, of the classic, like, you know, grizzle, grizzled fisherman. All right. Well, uh, 
yeah, I'll be back. And they just kind of come in and go in and, and well, yeah, wasn't feeling betrayed like his, and his, insulted when he escapes more than anything else. The, the captor, wasn't it like his childhood home or something? He's like, I, I think my dad had something left here. Yeah, he was, was, yeah. He was like the warden of the Isles. He was like the third in line for the Lord of the Isles. He was like this sort of like, and, and, and I think Prospero at one time was like appealing to his honor. He's like, no, we're all brigands up here. He's like very honest, you know, and that, I thought that was great. You know, it's like, but yeah, he's, he's a, he, he is like that kind of like keeper who's, he's, he, he befriends him, but you know, he not, it's, it's one of these kind of like, you know, I, uh, yeah, I have to do it because I'm being kind of told to, and you know, I'm, you know, I'll, I'll keep you company and things like that. And he develops a relationship with him. And it's, that's a little, he, I think Prosper feels a little sad that he has to, you know, I, scare him in such a way that he can use his boat to escape. But that's, you know, he's obviously his primary motivation is to get back to <laughs> whatever it is that he wants to get back to. Well, and, and how about, how about the, uh, the quote unquote geopolitical situation as, as, as the story begins, right? Well, you know, you know the 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 king of, of the you know the, the high king of the southern kingdom. It's more most a ceremonial thing. You know, king's got like 50, 60 guys. They've got a little tiny tower, and you know then a king will try and encroach on someone else. They'll send guys. They'll lob rocks. They'll claim a big victory and they'll come home. And that and, and you know God forbid anybody starts getting any power, we've got to kill them before things yeah. get bad. And someone gathers power suddenly. <laughs> well, and also speaks to Prospero's sort of like you know disconnection from this world he probably travels other worlds you know i think he references like you know yeah. the time thing like that he doesn't even know there's like a new king right he has to go to town and is like oh didn't you hear the news othar or othmar is you know now <laughs> the king is like oh when did that happen <laughs> and he's to- torn down the old wooden city and he's built building a stone one now well, why why would he do that the wooden one was perfectly fine yeah. he, progress and- for the sake of progress that's why i'm a hermit <laughs> Well, and, and there's much about that, right? That that he's a hermit. That he you know, mm-hmm. he doesn't really care for change. My God, I'm sorry. I realize Prospero is a self insert for me. I'm sorry. I've just returned on me now. <laughs> hermit doesn't like change. Yeah. Um, so, um, is this the part where we talk about statting up Bob? <laughs> <laughs> well, we can talk okay. about things, things to stat. We get to talk I, about I was, stats. I, couple more things i was just two real quick things so i love the fact that food and dining is so prevalent in this because it does feed into like you know obviously like dying earth and like sort of like the 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 food there but it's like it's kind of nice to see that in paid attention to in a novel you know whereas i think a lot of times it's sort of you know brushed over and this is like a big motivator for prospero and the other is i just wanted to quickly point out that this idea of like ancient english magic which um you know, is is a theme throughout the book because you have like Roger Bacon, you have a reference to Michael Scott, you know, all these kind of like historical quasi mystical figures, right? You know, people who are attributed with, you know, magical powers or even teachings. And yeah. it really made me think a lot about the great book, um, Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norrell, which is another sort of English magic book. And I would recommend that to Anyone, any readers of, you know, who enjoy like wizards and fiction, it's a, you know, Susanna Clark, uh, a novel that came out a, a few years ago, and it's a lovely book. And and it's all filled with this sort of like idea of like, 
ancient English magic being sort of prevalent in the modern world or the semi-modern world. I think it's, you know, set in the, the late 1800s or late, late, you know, time or 1900s, I guess, you know, time period. So it's kind of like a, I definitely recommend that to any, any folks out there who haven't read it. As opposed to this one, which seems to have like no time, no yeah. set time. <laughs> it seems to like be very fluid, you know, with like him acquiring objects throughout, you know, like the Boy Scout knife or, you know, references to like news reels. He keeps throwing out like these kind of like, you know, anachronistic things, but it's clearly because he's a wizard, you know, he and wizards do wizard things. They go to, you know, <laughs> the future, they go to the past, they, you know, well, whatever. And he talks about the, you know, the, the wizard that came back from the future. I think the wizard like came back to warn them of some calamity and nobody listened to him and nothing happened anyway. Uh, just, <laughs> there's, there's all these, these wonderful little like side notes is at first the anachronisms were kind of jarring to me. And then I kind of settled into the groove of, okay, what's, what's, what's going to happen next? You know, <laughs> what's, what, what's the next weird little thing going to be? And it, it just, that, so that's much. true. I, I remember you telling me early on as you were reading that I was not going to love it because it's another Dresden. So Prospero's he's always like exhausted. role model for Dresden. All he wants is a nap and he keeps losing his staff. <laughs> yeah ridiculous but always need sleep i mean it's fun to see it's like etymology you know where did this word begin and you know how rare is it now that sort of thing um i guess i have mark to thank for my obsession with the eod now (laughs) uh oed that's right um but now the the inspirations for characters throughout um hesitate to call it literature but (laughs) you know what i mean uh from book series to series decade to decade and so on yeah all right so So we get to things to stat i i think so there are so so many things to stat in this small small fragment of fiction um i mean right if you could just write an article on varied coinage right because Thing, things like that, the whole concept of a gold piece is a gold piece is a gold piece is great in, in in fantasy games, but of course that wasn't really the case. Gold and silver and, and sizes and old coins that might be worth more or less or foreign coins that nobody wants. I mean, these are these are things that kind of come up to begin with. I mean, the, the gold coins that he's he's covered in lead paint are weird foreign coins, but they're gold. So everyone's yeah. excited. Yeah, I love that. I mean, the, his image of like the South Kingdom as a sort of, you know, hodgepodge of sometimes like it's, I think he, at one point he's describing like a bishop who is like sitting in a room defending his room or, or something like that, right? That's his kingdom, right? Because yep. he's able to take that out. But that really leads to like this idea of like, how do you handle like cross trade between all these different places that might mint their own coins or or have their own currencies? And he has that great description of like, the South Kingdom map that he keeps, which is like he re- like referred to as the measles map because it looks like blotches, you know, of different you know ring concentric rings. But yeah, that idea of like coinage in a game and having to like you know invest some history into the the coinage and, and provide that I think provides a more realism to the the game setting that a lot of players would like. And it can be done without making it too crunchy, right? I mean. Yeah. It can be done without saying, oh, well, something from the North Kingdom is worth two-thirds of a South Kingdom silver. 
but you know, you can you can play with that flavor without getting in, in, in too deep. Um, there was there were some great throwaway comments and items. Like I would love to write up the book Five Hundred Useful Pentacles. <laughs> Pentacles? Why? I think well, Bob. They, yeah, you could you could do that. You you had the 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 yeah. cask of sixty six or sixty uh <laughs> right five hundred is another step, but yeah yeah it's just it's just a bigger more tables that I've had to do right. <laughs> um, of, of course, then there's then there's the maybe zero level occupations that we get like leech gatherer. <laughs> I want to know the trade good of well, no, I guess we know what the trade good of a leech gatherer is. Bloodsuckers. I love oh, bloodsuckers. That's a northern term. That's south. A, that was a southern term. That oh, that's was right, because he was up. Whoops. He was up in. in the, that's right. Um, or, or you know, the fact that there was a coroner was like, "Yep, this guy died a long time ago." I I love the fact there was like a village coroner. Um, yeah, why is that not a profession? Wow. Yeah. Yeah. We've missed a few steps. Undertaker, maybe? No, no, we missed that one too. It just it added such a such th- this bizarre throwaway moment of absurdity to picture you have this wizard standing next to a coroner like Quincy. Like, well, <laughs> see what happened is. <laughs> and what are they standing over? They're standing over essentially this body that he has pulled out of the armor, you know, the the skeletal knight, which even even that was strange, right? I mean, the whole thing's bolted shut. He's he's hammering at it to try and open it because it won't open. And well, it seems like the, the corner was awesome. <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah. It seemed like the corner is very much like nonchalant, you know, kind of like or the I don't I don't think there was like a big deal made of it. Oh, well, undead knights, yeah, 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 exactly. Just, <laughs> It's not moving now, is it? So it must be okay. I mean, we we had the NPC rabble mob. Uh, I would almost give the coroner a half level as opposed to being zero level. <laughs> he's right up there with mayor, I think. You know, and, yeah, he's, and, he's higher than peasant. <laughs> um, and then, so of course, there's big things, right? Like the dolphin cross itself, which we don't really learn much about. We're, we're, we're told that it's supposed to you know, bring together and control the elements, and mm-hmm. it's it's obviously an item of, of tremendous power, but since this is an unfinished manuscript, that leaves a whole lot of like open road for static something like that. Up. <laughs> yeah. And of, of course, Prospero, Prospero. I, I suppose I've already to uh, to quit, to uh, use a turn of phrase. I've already talked about Prospero's books with the uh, five hundred useful pentacles, but there's <laughs> also the the magic mirror, right? Or the magic mirrors oh. because there's several different mirrors in this. And they're all very different. Yeah, they have different personalities. I love that detail. You know that, you know, each one has to be sort of cajoled or, you know, yeah. you know, approached differently. So, yeah, that that would almost be right up there with the sword magic, just mm-hmm. needing to make another couple's uh, tables for that. Yeah, I love that idea. Yeah, because you you know the you have the sword and you have the obviously creating magical artifacts. That idea of like creating a uniqueness to magic mirrors and what powers they have. They clearly are like, you know, used for like transportation in most cases because they use them to like travel between worlds or between like sites with mirrors. But yeah, you could come up with a lot of creative, you know, statting out based on personalities or other attributes. I like that idea a lot. I I like the idea of mirror magic, like sword magic. That's I hadn't thought of that. And that that's really 
Yay, I'm useful. I mean, um, <laughs> along the lines of that dolphin cross probably being explained later, one of the things that John's editor had mentioned was that she would love, part of the feedback she gave John was, I would love to see what's actually behind the bishop and, mm. and find out more about this character. Uh, so... If we're going to stat up Prospero, we've got to stat up the bishop and all of his weird necromantic. Oh, yeah, it was in fact him who created them. We don't know. We don't know. Yeah, yeah it, it could have been, been, been the South King, right? You know, that was sort of implied as well. The thing that I would love to do in conjunction with that is the manse, like the bishop's house or castle. It is so much a a, a magician's manse. You know, it just kind of calls or screams out for you know, detailing out all the levels and sort of like the different rooms. It's just a, a weird thing. And then, and in fact, when Prospero is like, you know, stepped back, it's described to this kind of like disease stone appearance, almost like it's melting. And it's it's just those kind of things are like, that's, that would be great, you know, to to have like a, a location based on just his, his house. And his yeah. servants. Yes, yeah, there isn't like servants. leather servants, you know, with <laughs> weird. Uh, yeah, it's uh, way you know, <laughs> when uh, when they were describing the servants, what sprang to mind? Have I have either of you seen the the old Disney movie, The Black Hole? Yeah. Oh, yeah. There's the there's the 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 figures that are all working the the computers, and they they just have these you know these solid masks, and they sit, they do their tasks, and they're they're essentially wired and animated corpses. And that is exactly the vibe I was getting here. It was very oh, that's horrific. Creepy. Yeah, but that would be that would be creepy but fun, you know, to have as a as a stat um, stat it out. I, in addition to the manse, the things that I was thinking about was I love that idea of when the one scene with Roger Bacon we get. He has got this, you know, Aquavita filled bottle that alarms <laughs> whenever Prospero is in in trouble. Oh yeah, and I love that idea of like creating like this sort of like you know, potion or bottle of essence, you know, that is tied to some living entity and it, you know, it gives you some warning about when they're in danger. Um, there was another one that I, it was just kind of another throwaway, but, you know, Prospero is like saying, oh, the Northerners are not Christians. They, you know, some of them, you know, are worship near trees and they're pagans. There's this one tribe that worships um, mushrooms, you know, <laughs> it's like, I love the idea of like, you know, just like this village sort of encounter of like, what does that look like, you know, in terms of like, you know, it's again, I, 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 I built, you know, so recently we've done the dying earth stuff, but it's that very much a unique village thing that happens in Vance's, you know, novels of like, oh, what weird place am I going to encounter now? And what weird yeah. religion do they have? And this idea of like worshiping mushrooms is like kind of akin to that. I love that, you know. Yeah, it, it, that that's a step beyond like Viking hippies. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, and the other thing that's kind Keeping of cool it. about all of the magic <laughs> items though is things that are imbued with magic are also imbued with personality. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, it, it's it's not just other than maybe the sword, which doesn't really interact that much, virtually everything else it would be it'd be in a kind of a neat category of of magic or or some sort of ritual magic. These these enchanted items like that, yeah. And you could do, I mean, you could also do a lot with Prospero's staff and even the sword, right? Because there's kind of like basic, you know, tools within the DCC core book to kind of you know creating staffs, creating wizard staffs, and it's you know it. 
I, I you know I think those don't get as much attention in games because people often don't play to those higher levels where you get access yeah. to those but you know this is a way of you know introducing it possibly and you know tying it to something that's you know players may have read or may be intrigued by well and as they're written they're prohibitively expensive for most adventurers but i think it is just as overlooked as say arcane affinity mm -hmm. everyone just goes straight to no lightning bolt <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> i want lightning Okay. <laughs> well, it's funny, right? Because those things in DCC, those those are more expensive, yeah, more more expensive than the, than the average adventurer would would want to shell out. And Prospero is, is makes no bones about the fact that he is a poor, not very good wizard, right? <laughs> I mean, he kind of he lives in fear of the moment that he's going to be you know, confronted by someone competent. Well, yeah, because that that staff is now worth more than his entire house. <laughs> Oh, well, remember when spells he put into the it. skeletal knight is trying to kill him, and how does he survive? By convincing the magic mirror to remind him of a spell. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, and I, I like the the fact that he's when he's talking about like how he doesn't seek power and things like that. He's like, but if there's a spell that's you know fun, essentially, then I know it. You know, or there's a you know a silly spell, then I know it. You know, it's, yeah. It's, that's what he that's what he, he likes a lot so prosper's not great on the battlefield but he's a lot of fun at parties yeah <laughs> he was he was able to make the mob think that they had the plague mm -hmm. just a simple little cantrip thing yeah but that's all he could think of but effective and and useful for you know players to be reminded of like sometimes the simple things are what you know is the best uh, best tool for you so sometimes it's okay if you're a low intelligence wizard. You could still be somewhat effective. <laughs> All you need is cantrip and a good staff. Magician, not wizard. Sorry. <laughs> oh, man. I don't, I don't know, man. I'm, I'm starting to have less and less faith in Prospero. <laughs> well, we know that Prospero is not going to going to get through this entire thing on his own, right? That's that's why there are two wizards, not one. Mm -hmm. But we can only sort of ponder how it ends. Yes. Yeah, unfortunately. I, I wish there I wish we had more, but um it was delightful to to read what we got. So I'm yes, really surprised nobody's taken up the, the mantle and finished it. I mean there there's Somebody else has been writing in the style of John Belair's, uh, Brad. There was Stryker an author, he Belair. finished like two stories uh, by Belair's and then continued writing stories with those characters. I believe it's Strickland, uh, according yes. to Belairsia. Yes, because um, Strickland is the one that announced that two magicians had been found at Duke University ooh. in in some old papers. They they weren't even the papers of, of Belair's. I I forget. Wow. It was the it was at the Rubenstein Rare Book Manuscript Library at Duke University. Um and it, they were they were in the private papers of a of a different sci-fi fantasy uh, like editor, not Lynn Carter. Uh, <laughs> and he's like, "Okay, somebody needs to get this in print." And I wholeheartedly agree. Um cuz I just that's the thing about these characters is you want more. You want more of this world. You want more of the weirdness. Jen, speaking of more, was there more that you wanted to stat? No, no, I mean, besides the uh, the scarecrow knights, I 
I know that he found a skeleton in them, but I still have the visual of the scarecrow of, of the straw holding yeah, the lance. Yeah. And yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Cause that's just like every horror movie trope, right? The, well, the if- weird scarecrow that, you know, there's something wrong with it, but you can't quite put your finger on it. Well, if, if you think about it, it makes more sense, right? I mean, there was, there wasn't just a skeleton inside armor that looked, you know, filled out like a person because it wouldn't, right? It would, it would hang, it would sag. So it was stuffed with straw. So it looked like a real living person. It's the, it, that sort of. But then the horse the disappeared. Yes. Well, no, the, I thought the horse was, sta- no, the horse was standing nearby while he in the corner were examining the corpse, I thought. No, I think by the time he like went to build the village and then came back, the horse was gone. So I think it, it was something like like that where he had just he he neglected to like do anything with the horse, right? Because he's not yeah, that's not like you know, he's not it's not like he had a stable, yeah, yeah, and and the horse just wandered off, you know, probably eating you know grass and 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 I I now know I I've put my finger on why I I have lost faith in, in Prospero. He's far too human. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, we, we've come to expect so much more from our wizards, apparently. Uh, yeah. I'm so you, Rialto. <laughs> so, Jen, moving from things the staff, What about some audio suggestions? Audio suggestions for something of this ilk, I would have to say loot the body. I mean... Can can we just agree that loot the body fits for almost everything? I was going to say as an activity or as a band because both sort of fit. No, no, the the, the musical act, uh, loot the body. Um, incidentally, the ones who have a DCC third party tie-in <laughs> with Sailors <laughs> in the Starless Sea, <laughs> but they have a, a large back catalog that I've been grooving to lately well, yeah because it's uh, if i recall correctly most of their stuff is is D related but it's not like edition specific or anything of that sort so it sort of fits the general feel to begin with they're they're a game um, it, it's not 100 percent game related but it is you know 70s prog I know, I know, Bob. You have a lot to, to say on this, so I'll, I'll defer to you. I, <laughs> you well, I got to, I got, to, I got to dig into music, and there was just, there was so much coolness. Uh, I even, and I'll, I'll uh, post the link with the, the show notes when the uh, actual, you know, the podcast episode goes up, because I put together a Spotify list. Curse you, David Beatty, for teaching me how to make Spotify list. <laughs> um, no, one of one of the acts I was going to mention, I saw on your list, so I nixed it. Oh, you can go ahead and mention it. I can just agree I- with you. I I have a real soft spot for Old Man Wizard and and have for years and blame it on sorcery, which is actually an instrumental, uh, but they have an entire discography that is in the same vein, uh, probably a little more on the hard rock side of things. Yeah, they, they kind of come out of the, the, the L.A. metal scene more, although... <laughs> Although the person behind that, Francis Roberts, has a lot of stuff, right? So there is Blame It on Sorcery, which is available as a instrumental, but also was done as a regular. It was released both ways, with and without vocals. Um, he also has done a, a soundtrack for a D&D campaign. 
which is the Velen's Grave original soundtrack. And that is rich and evocative, especially for later parts of the story where things are starting to get dark and creepy. Um, for sort of simple things with a medieval feel, uh, and I'm talking simple, right? I mean, this isn't this isn't uh, like a, a group of musicians at a Renaissance fair with with really nice lutes and ouds and things of that nature. Um, it's it's simpler than that. But there's a, a duo, Derek and Brendan Feicher, and they've released an album called The Wandering Bard, and another one called Inns and Taverns, and both are really nice atmospheric albums that that you can just have on in the background when you're when you're playing an adventure before you get to the uh-oh moments right before you hit the the real serious moments um there is a, a band called scrying glass and their album beyond sight is well i mean there's like vermulian the dreamwalker the enchanted mirror uh, there's Rialto the Magician. They have an entire that entire album is Dying Earth themed. Whoa! Yeah, how did and we it's, miss that? And it's <laughs> really really neat. Um, they've also done a Clark Ashton Smith inspired album. Uh, <laughs> so so they're they're a lot of fun. And finally, you know, with with seventies prog rock really does sort of to me fits the whole weird vibe around Prospero, especially though that the like seventies hobo prog rock movement from Jethro Tull songs from the wood, uh, because you know, from the album cover with you just campfire shabby, it just goes from there. I mean, that, that album cover is Prospero on a bad day. And, and the, the music <laughs> is, is great. Yeah. I, I thought that was especially like, you know a good call just in it was like oh yeah that's the right type of music yeah it just and, and there's there's a lot of other stuff that you know in that vein that you could pull in but those were the things that really sort of stuck out in my in my brain this time around musically uh, i'm yeah. i'm sure that i'll hiccup and, and and come up with more later but uh, we've been listening in, in our house we've been listening to a lot of bardcore like the kids love it it's it's like and like Hildegard, like um, Hildegard von Blingen, I think is like the one that we we have a go to. If you haven't, it's like, you know, it's but it's it's kind of that's what I was thinking of when I was like, oh, that'd be kind of a fun, you know, atmospheric thing to have as uh, as uh, part of a campaign or part of a setting. Bob, Dan Marcotte, he, I, I'm almost <clears throat> positive he has sung of of the trials and tribulations of Prospero. <laughs> well, you know, if you, if you want to bring in um, Dan, the bard, uh, the, the author of such songs as a uh, dwarven minor, which w- went over so well at Gen Con that a company came by and said, yeah, uh, we like the song so much. We made a board game. We wanted to give you a copy, um, which is, which is definitely more of the, of the filk tradition, but it certainly, it certainly sort of fits that that lighter tone of, of Prospero at home as opposed to uh, mm-hmm. Prospero abroad. Um, and yeah, and, and some of the bardcore musicians out there, I mean, there's people that are taking like songs by Slipknot and are recording them in old English, complete with, you know, full <laughs> translations. And it's a bit much. <laughs> 
No, it's it's amazing. It is it is not a group of skill sets that I ever personally put together, but I can appreciate the time and dedication that some of these people are putting in. And so you can take some of your favorite songs and all of a sudden when it's in 11th century Latin, it's completely different. Yeah. That's that's true. Um <clears throat> was Scott Williams the one playing uh, Metallica on the Hammered Dulcimer? Dulcimer. Yes. <laughs> yeah that was it was perfect for what it was <laughs> I, I, I gotta leave it there yeah no it was <laughs> it's like the guy that um, on the bagpipes playing acdc right there's there's moments of music that are just so huh <laughs> but they're, they're perfect it's a thing okay and, and so certainly you know certainly um anachronistic covers would be another entire genre <laughs> that would go well with this it, it kind of fits you know the time traveling you know he's yeah you know prospero's he's got, in, got a knife he's got yeah he's, why not you know, prospero's in modern day new york picks up the song he really likes it come back he can't stop humming it stuck in his head so someone yeah. starts you know picking it out on loot oh it definitely that <laughs> definitely could happen <laughs> Oh, well, yeah, and that reminds me of, like another kind of fun thing where the story is like it's it's clearly like sort of like this alternate history thing but you know the fact that he knows that the old ones are really the romans right and but nobody in like the south kingdom has any idea of like the romans in his time period it's like this kind of like lost history but it's like he's keeping the secret knowledge because he thinks it's fun to like keep the secret knowledge um that's another yeah, yeah and they would just call him crazy if he tried to bring it up Exactly. Yeah. He's convinced he's what do you mean there was this ancient civilization of people who built all these things? They clearly (laughs) with magic or something. Yeah. Aliens? (laughs) Wrong wrong story. Wrong story. (laughs) All right. Um, I think that exhausts our list of musicians. There musical inspirations there and tie-ins, Bob. I, I I will say it doesn't, it probably doesn't exhaust it but it never does. So we've probably done enough because if you wind me up long enough, we'll have a fourth Sanctum Sanctorum <laughs> podcast dedicated just to music. And, uh, and, and, you know, Dieter would co-host that in a heartbeat. So just threaten me with a good time. Uh, so why don't we, yeah. So why don't we move on? <laughs> why don't we move on to DCC inspirations and reskins? Apologies in advance, Elena. Um, yeah. Uh, I don't know. Someone else can start this one. <laughs> Mark, what were you thinking? Um, I, I think there's some some good examples, and I think you'll get into them, Bob, you know, just in terms of like some of the the weird out of place, you know, adventures that are in DCC. But the one that like the the scene that I just couldn't like get out of my mind um, when I was reading this book, and it's it is very much in the the kind of thematic um, you know similarities. But the the great adventure um, Prince Charming reanimator by uh, the great Daniel Bishop, you know, who's um, who's a, a writer I, whose work I love. In that uh, adventure, there's this one scene where you go into the laboratory of Dr. Chapman, who's the court wizard, or, or used to be the court wizard as part of this, you know, uh, history of this place. And one of the things you can discover in there is things like Black Sabbath records, right, you know, that are part of his collection. And that that is so evocative of like the Prospero of um, these books, you know, where he's kind of this cluttered sort of like artifact collector. 
And I always remember that like encounter and especially like I, I remember playing it with some players and describing, you know, like, you know, trying to really draw out like what they were seeing. And and it was like the sudden moment of like, oh, you know, the joke and like, you know, the, it was like a great time role playing. And I love that that particular like sort of detail in that adventure, which overall is is, is a great adventure. You know, it's 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 this lovely sort of retelling or reskinning of like a fairy tale. And I think that that also sort of feels akin to some of the 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 work that he's doing as far as like a children's author as part of like you know these these stories of facing the frost so if you haven't um read or or had a chance to play um any of the the fairy tale series that were the purple duck um publications that daniel wrote um you know starting with prince uh, charming reanimator a, a great little mini series and 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 lovely um you know accompaniment to this book you know, and and you've actually reminded me of one that wasn't on my list, but should be. And for the life of me, I can't remember the the author of the adventure because I think it's the only thing they ever wrote. So I'll dig it up and put it in the show notes. But there is um, a gr- gosh, I'm, I'm now uh, Rat Salad is is the uh, the name of the adventure, and uh, it also has it also has a wonderful encounter with fairies that wear boots. Um, so it, it sort of fits in that particular theme musically, but it was it was only released in Portuguese because it was a right. it was a Brazilian I, release. I, I was going to say didn't didn't Diogo Nogueira yeah. worked on it finding um, that for us yeah. But also there is when when we talk about sort of the decayed stonework of the bishop's manse. There is a a wizard's tower that is in sort of a, a similar state, and it is it is the ultimate goal that uh, you need to get there. It, it's a it's a hex crawl to that point, and that's where the the finale of the adventure takes place. And it's it's rotted, and you know there's bloated wood, and stone has collapsed. There's holes in floors, and it has that that feeling of a place where time has passed. And, uh, and 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 it has sort of that that dreamlike quality to it. So that that just sprung to mind while I was while I was listening <laughs> to that part. Um, but then there there are some some others that are I, I would almost call them the low hanging fruit for for reskinning to this, just because they fit the theme so well. Right, um, not in Kansas anymore. Uh, Peter Zimmerman wrote a, a doozy of an adventure, and I think I've played it three times. Sorry, uh, no, I it's don't. Really fun to run. I would, I would, I would play it more. And it's it's one of those adventures where you go from modern day, and then you're on a movie set, and they're they're filming some sort of monster movie, but they're not filming a movie, and and so with an adventure like that, or beyond the silver scream. The, the concept of people out of time where Prospero is constantly you know, connecting our recent past, which was, to be fair, probably John Belair's present, um, to, to <laughs> this fantasy world, the idea that you could use, for example, you know, the, instead of the tower out of time, it, it could be you know, Prospero's home. And it could just be strange on the inside. You could tie, you know, all of these could be tied together 
using Prospero as a theme running through them. So you could link Tower Out of Time, not in Kansas anymore, beyond the silver scream, all to the machinations of Prospero. Um, and if, if you were to do that, I would probably oh. start with, or I would probably finish with Beyond the Silver Scream, where you go through the, you know, you go from like the seventies into into this weird like, you know, sub almost like submarine with with you know, chamber locked doors, <laughs> and then out into this world of fantasy, and and use that as sort of a sort of a point to, to bounce back and forth. But those themes are so strong in in both the face and the frost and and the dolphin cross that I think it would be it would almost be a crime not to tie those three adventures together at this point. I thank you for the light bulb moment there. Uh, I think you could replace the. Uh, primary NPC from Brendan LaSalle's Neon Knights with either the Warden of the Isles or the Bishop himself. With the time-traveling aspect and the oh, yeah. mindless mobs. Uh, mm. uh, yeah, almost autonomic. Autonomic? <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going to advance my way through this. Um, <laughs> makeup words, they're fun. Uh, but, but yeah, and that that could add an even darker feel to your table if, if you were to put the bishop in that NPC spot. Mm-hmm. Um, add to the fact that you really don't know where you're going as you're trying to go through it. Uh, you actually would feel a lot like Prospero trying to deal with everything. Um, to bring it back to a lighter note, um, more along the lines of the fantastic, uh, dreamlike qualities that Mark had mentioned, um, Theater of the Hand, uh, one of the obscure ones from Order of the Quill, Clint Bohady, I believe. It's very uh you encounter fairy tale characters and you might encounter someone akin to the the straw man or the lion and you get these little story pages that you have to try to piece together along your way and it it really um felt a bit like when Prospero was trying to figure out what is the deal with these knights? Um, why am I even here? Why are, is there any substitute for this really bad blood sausage and rubbery cheese <laughs> that he keeps eating while in prison? Uh, the other one I wanted to mention, uh, our own Jess McDevitt has written one called Who Lives in Grimsburg? And she's run it for the past couple of uh, Cyclops cons. And very similar in feel in starting in a very familiar setting that you know. And I have to say, when you get to the part that you're not exactly expecting and everything becomes this beautiful, fantastic world, her descriptions, I think she has nailed the style of Belair's on that one. Mm. And 
when I was reading it, I was, okay, this is immediately what I think, you know, besides dying with all the magicians, uh, this, this is a very close second for me in compatibility. Oh, that sounds cool. I'm looking forward to reading that. Yeah. Yes. And I will add, um, I really enjoyed, because we playtested Theater of the Hand mm-hmm. years and years ago now. Because almost a decade ago, yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I and I would say that you know, love the adventure. I'm still I'm still not crazy about the title just because the title seems to it seems to undercut the adventure itself, right? I don't think that the the, the the title is clever, but it is clever in a way that is not necessarily fully in keeping with the adventure. So if you look at it and you're like, theater of the ham, really no, no, look past that. The adventure is fantastic fun. There's a lot to it. Um, if, if you'll pardon me for saying so, there's a lot of meat to it because, you know, it's a <laughs> joke, right? Um, but it, it's totally worth picking up. It's totally worth playing. And yeah, I, I see I see what you're getting at with, with the way it, it sort of blends together those fantasy elements. And and who's not who's not for a, a an adventure in a big old stone amphitheater anyway, right? So I mean, yeah. now now I kind of want to blend that with acting up in Lankmar. Thank you. Um. <laughs> I I could totally see that. I could totally see that. Um, but we're not we're not we're not trying to do tie-ins to theater of the ham. That's the I know, <laughs> I know, I know, I know. I'm I'm just. I'm stuttering over this next part because I so want to focus on all of the gloriousness that we've finally seen almost come to fruition here. Uh, speaking of all the Vancean stuff with, with the magicians and, and yeah. Uh, but we're not going to tie into just the overall setting, right? No, that is going to bring us to our DCC feature for the show, Fathoms Below Witch's Isle, by our very own keeper, Mark Bruner. Oh, why did I agree to this? Why did I agree to this? <laughs> and and you know, I think I think Mark should give us the synopsis for this because I mean, if he can't, he wrote it. If he can't, it means the adventure was probably written several years ago and it's not in his memory anymore. But we have notes, so it's okay. Ah. <laughs> uh... Good thing that somebody uh, put the blurb here for me. Uh, right, I can read it. Yes. Uh, so, yes, this is an adventure I wrote. Um, sort of the context of this is that it was the DCC Day Adventure for 2021. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. But it was it's kind of tied into the Kickstarter because we were doing the Dying Earth Kickstarter around right. that time. Yeah. And this was like, yeah. you know, a lead into that. And I re- the thing I distinctly remember is... Um, um, Mr. Curtis coming to me and saying, hey, can we write, can you turn in a, a DCC adventure for DCC day? Uh, you have a month and <laughs> here's, here you go. Uh, do you have any ideas? And uh, Oh, okay. Yeah. But it was, it was a lot of fun. Um, so this is Fathoms Blow Witch Isle, which is the first published DCC adventure set in the world of Jack Vance's Dying Earth. 
Um, it's a level one adventure that starts with a party that's traveling as passengers aboard an unusual ship, ship driven by these huge sailing worms. And they must survive sea demons, a shipwreck, and capture at the hands of a strange inhabitants of an underwater isle who seek to use them as sacrifices to a bizarre fiend who plagues their home. And so um, I might have some insights into it, uh, but uh, the way for me that it ties into um, the book we just read or the you know manuscript we just read is that it is this idea of like, you know, Prospero is at one point um, captured and left, a, you know, on this island, right, you know, which is a, a good chunk of the story as he tries to discover both not only the secrets of the island, but also the secrets of his escape. Right. And eventually he he does get out. But it's 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 sort of this idea of a wizard being sort of captured and um, imprisoned against his will. That's, um, you know, that there's some elements of that in, 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 in Fathoms as well, you know, where the whole party is is kind of at the mercy of this, um, you know, mad hermit. You know, essentially, that's that's a mad witch. That's um, that's part of this adventure. And um, I think there's some, you know, the associations, you know, are are clear from that point of view, uh, and kind of make it a nice tie-in, you know. But also just the whole idea of the larger dying Earth being this wizard's playground, right? This magician's focused um, setting, and um, that's clearly what what John Valeras was also, you know, interested in writing about with Prospero and Roger Bacon and and the you know the bishop and all these other elements that are sort of vying for each other, often like you know prosper feels like a pawn in this kind of larger game of wizards that are much more powerful than him and and i think that's like an aspect of dying earth that i was trying to introduce with this um you know this first adventure uh for C dcc day and it's not a strictly dying earth adventure it's it's intended to be played both ways you know i think that's that's an important thing too we want to make this a, a much more of a hybrid where it could be a traditional dcc adventure but you could also you know be a, a gateway into dying earth or use the classes once you have access to you know the the setting and and it, and it gets released to the, the 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 folks who are interested in um in in purchasing it so um that was I, a tall order for a month man <laughs> <laughs> well i i was one of these things that you know i i clearly there's some thematic things that i was going for with you know, the Tempest and Prospero being another sort of like direct correlation there. But um, I, I had a lot of fun writing it just as kind of like uh, we we want more of these, you know, kind of, you know, dying earth themed things to be available as people get access to um, the rules. And and hopefully it's something that, um, you know, it's people will enjoy or have enjoyed and and, you know, could use not only in the DCC setting or the dying earth setting, but also in other settings like, you know, straight up DCC if they wanted to or other, you know, um, you know, other alternate systems. Now I haven't, I haven't run it because I, I got to play test it, but if I recall correctly, wasn't, wasn't there like some sort of stripped down, like introductory dying earth mechanics or mechanic replacements that were included with it? Yeah. I think, yeah, it I think... A PDF made available. It was like a four page thing. Yeah. We tried to like have, here's, DCC Dying Earth Light, you know, kind of like if you wanted to start using some of the mechanics that are going to be part of the core system, which is, you know, D Dying Earth is is very much a modular thing where you can take, you know, things like the grudge, you know, tokens and put them, you know, in in your game or without taking any characters. 
spell yeah. creation, very things that would fit right into the core book, you know, if it was like mm-hmm. an extra chapter, right, you know, things like that. And so we did take some of the, you know, the, the dying earth um, mechanics that we came up with that we thought were, you know, fun in any, you know, any setting and, and included like a, a brief, um, you know, synopsis of them for this adventure. So that that was kind of a fun thing to do, too. And I think some of those have changed just a wee bit in the past couple of years. <laughs> yeah. So uh, don't take it as gospel. Oh. Buyer uh, beware, you know. Yeah, <laughs> but still, I, I I remember, I remember, like I said, I, I played the adventure. Um, I, I think, I, I want to say Julian ran it for us, um, which which is nice because, I mean, let's face it, not only is is Julian um, yeah live he yeah not not only is is Julian fluent in in Vancian, but uh, he also has a has a minor in Bernickian and so he really <laughs> when he sat down to run it for us he really captured the feel and we had we had just one session so we were we were running kind of short but there's a lot of of dark subterranean creepy that it's a different kind of creepy, right? I'm a, I'm a huge Lovecraft fan. I think anybody that knows me knows that. And this is not Lovecraft creepy. It's Vance creepy. And there's a massive difference between the two. Um, it's not, it's not overwhelming cosmic horror so much as it's, I, I think it draws, uh, draws uh, more closely to like the, the nihilism of black sun death crawl in that, <laughs> You know, the world has <laughs> decayed. Things things have changed. You okay, that's just an overall alive. though. <laughs> You're still alive, and so you you need to confront this. You need to survive this. Uh, and um, I, and I, a, I love it. I have a couple of thoughts on the tie-in itself, but I am curious to hear both of your takes on this. In putting these together, um. Would you say that Prospero would be more of a magician class in DCC Dying Earth? Or would you call him more of a Google? <laughs> more of a wayfarer? I, you know, I I think he doesn't have the drive and the ambition that you see in so many of the magicians that are in the stories of Vance, right? So and he's a lot nicer than Kugel. He, well, that's true too. Yeah, he's also a lot nicer oh, than, than than Kugel. He he he's much more of a minor magician, right? Which I think is not fully explored okay. in the in the Dying Earth novels, but I think it has its place. And so well, I, I definitely think he's still get a spell, right? Yeah, but that's just one spell, and and, and they don't, you know, it it's well, if that spell's cantrip. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> Yeah, I, for me, Prospero is is a magician. You know, he's he's much more, you know, aligned with you know the powers and the the that. But he doesn't have the ambition, and which makes him a kind of a fun, you know, sort of oddity in in the the desolate and like you said, the the darker the themes of dying Earth, where you know there's so much struggle against each other. So yeah, it's that's fair. That's fair. Um... Well, then again, maybe this is just set a thousand years before the dying earth. (laughs) (laughs) Or, um, yeah, yeah. Which mirror was this again? Can, can we go back? (laughs) (laughs) Um, as for the tie-in itself, um, I would like to point out that there are definitely some automatons in here. 
Did I get it right this time? Uh, possibly masquerading as um, bad things. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, some of some of the mysteries of both islands that we're talking about are of a ter- terrestrial nature and not just the creatures there. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I do have to point out that those sailing worms are probably still some of my favorite creatures. <laughs> <laughs> it's like all of all of these uh, teratoid and pack animal stats that ended up going into the main books. Um, give me more variety on the sailing worms. Come on. I know they come in different yeah. colors. Yeah, they're knobs, different colored knobs. Chromatic, <laughs> yes, the chromatic sailing worms. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, yes, I, I, I think tying tying the world of Facing the Frost, the Dolphin Cross, uh, with you know into Fathom Flow, which is Isle, would be fairly fairly simple. Whether you wanted to, you know, set the manse of of the bishop atop the aisle in some fashion, or or you wanted to incorporate his mannerisms more, you know, more deeply into the into the behavior of the sea demons, and give them you know, give them extra motivations behind the scenes. Um, I think they would they would link together very very well. Sea demons vile. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I mean. Um... Hey players, you should really ask to start from the beginning. Well, and I, I think I think that uh, I think that says a lot about the versatility of the works of both well of both authors and, and, and the game designer here. Um, but you know, Vance and Belair's very different worlds, and yet in some ways they really feel compatible. You know, it's Prospero. Prospero would never be a main character in the Dying Earth. Prospero is barely a main character in Facing the Frost <laughs> and the Dolphin Cross, right? I mean, let's let's, let's be honest. So, so he's he's one of those. He would be a, one of those background players, and and some of the background players in in Dying Earth are very interesting, and some of them aren't quite as deep, dark, and serious as the main as the main you know, protagonists. So all of that, all of that, kind of marries together really well. So yeah, if you if, if you read the Dolphin Cross and you want to, you know, throw your character, you throw your players into it, Fathom Blow, which I would be a really good way to do it. Yeah, I think that I mean, you know, I, I wrote the adventure with a you know kind of clear goal of being like a one session adventure, something that's easily you know, achievable, hope, well, you know, it's meant to be consumed. In, but you could expand it to be at the, you know, what it leads you to is sort of like the Bishop's manse, you know, that becomes like this, the part two where you get to have to, you know, encounter and go into this kind of weird environment and ultimately confront, you know, whoever the, the, the Bishop who may be manipulating the players, the characters, um, per the the kind of the intro to the adventure, and I think that would be a real good kind of extension and broadening of you know the what's what's pretty a, a pretty straightforward you I know uh, adventure otherwise. Uh, so, Witch's Isle is just off the shore of the mainland, which is 
uh, well, really a larger island, but that's where the house on the island is, maybe? Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> which, which definitely, which definitely has number some eight? Yeah. yeah. Coming soon. You just string together a whole set of island adventures. That would be awesome. <laughs> well, then I'm going to have to bring in Swordfish Islands and, and just make it a, a big, like, year. I don't have time for that right now, Bob. Oh. <laughs> I got to start with two. <laughs> I'll play the Swordfish Islands. Me too. But, Look at John yeah, Hammer's no, later on a game. I, I think I think overall, all of all of the the adventures that we mentioned certainly would would play nicely. But but Fathom's Blow, which is Isle, I think is is a perfect fit. And uh, Jen, thanks for picking that one because that's that's great. And and I just need to I just need to say because I, I I I'm just looking at the show notes and I really love. Uh, why why don't we just each read our line of these show notes in order because I just find it hysterical. Hey, I got to run this. Hey, I got to play test this. Hey, I wrote this. Yeah, I mean. <laughs> so let's let's. We all let's, had something to say in the end. Was, yeah. Welcome <laughs> to the insight of the keeper's brains, right? Um, exactly. Yeah. Now we have. I, it's hard to believe, but we have email. It's dusty. It's very, very dusty. But we have email. <clears throat> I'll go get Holy cow. Yeah. <laughs> Who does that anymore, anyway? Right. Email into a podcast? <laughs> uh, I guess since we made Mark talk about his own adventure, uh, we'll let him off the hook for the email. I'll read the email. You read the email. It, it's, it starts out in perfect fashion. Hey there, you wonderful keepers of mysteries. Aww. Oh, we're off to a good start. I'm a big fan of the podcast. I look forward to it every month. Oh, boy. I don't know how to break this to you, but it's... it's Wait until he gets to that point in our backlog of... Um... Yeah. <laughs> I really enjoy thinking about, about things I've already read from a new perspective and learning about Appendix and related works that I've never read before. As a judge, I don't often use props, and I certainly don't have Bob Brickman's encyclopedic knowledge of music. Nobody does. It's okay. Just keep rolling, Bob. Yeah. Uh, these things are always a joy to hear about and offer a real chance to discover something new. May I humbly suggest Lord Dunsany's The Charwoman's Shadow for a future episode. Keep up the good work. Mr. Sucking Up Will Get You Everywhere. Yours, Daniel J. Bishop. Uh <laughs> It's it's funny because in the stream chat, there, someone has quoted, you know, Bishop may be manipulating the players. Yes, that is true. I would like to add, Bishop may be manipulating the hosts. Yes, that is true. Um, well, well, uh, well, well, Mr. Bishop, uh, yes, as a matter of fact, uh, why don't, uh, as long as nobody disagrees, why don't we do the Charwoman's Shadow uh, for next month? Well, awesome. I mean, it, it appears that somebody filed off the submission date of this email, so we don't have to admit how many uh, shows how many pandemics ago that. this was. Uh, yeah, one, one pandemic, one, one, pa one, one pandemic ago. Very long, very very long. When what happens when the dying Earth beats a pandemic? Well. <sighs> Ooh. No, that sounds great. I love that suggestion and looking Ooh. forward to it. So. And, and, and I guess we, I, I don't know how much we've announced this, but what we are doing is resuming our monthly broadcast, right? So, Indeed. So we, we will be every 
second. Yeah, this is the second Tuesday, right? Yeah. Every second Tuesday, we will have the uh, the Sanctum Secorum, our, our traditional uh, Appendix N meets DCC show. And then on the fourth Tuesdays, we'll be continuing with the reading room, which is just talking about, about literature itself and, and the authors. Uh, something for uh, something for non-gamers and gamers alike. Uh, fourth week may come and go depending on our convention schedule. Yeah, based on convention schedules, right? Yes, yeah. yeah, so that will. Uh, but the, I'm uh, looking at the calendar, saying, uh, "Yeah, every second Tuesday, yeah, we can do this." Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm so looking forward to it. Um, and we're going to be doing a, a companion yeah. on a less frequent basis but it's- yes so- yes yes for those who haven't read our announcements already uh we are relaunching the sanctum Secorum companion zine as sanctum Secorum quarterly mm-hmm. instead of being episodic as always it will Thank still you. contain Thank the you. free content <laughs> <laughs> right <laughs> uh It'll still be free. It'll still contain content from ourselves as well as writers and authors from across this community. And we're expanding our content to include adventure reviews and more. So drop us a line at thehub at sanctum.media and join our team. Because as always, we love to see what sort of things you've been creating and what sort of things our shows inspire out of your little noggins. Uh, and we've meantime, already got some great people lined up for uh, yeah. the first issue and moving forward. Oh yes, uh, yes. Not, not, not going to leak those names yet because it'll be a it'll be a wonderful surprise. But there's some wonderful, wonderful okay, people. Okay. That, uh, that have come on board to help us out with that. Okay. We'll leak uh, it soon. <laughs> bother. In the meantime, if you are enjoying the show, uh, please comments on the podcast page or post a review on iTunes or now YouTube. That's scary, ain't it? Uh, Or drive through RPG for you zine fans. And of course, those ratings and reviews help new listeners and viewers find the podcast and the community. And Bob, do you want to take us out? Well, folks, there you have it. We, uh, we hope we've inspired you, and and thanks for listening. It's wonderful to be back, Mark. It is it is great to uh, to, to be sitting here with you again. Uh, I, I I speak for uh, for for Jen and I both, and I'm like, God, it's really about time you were back, man. We were dying. Uh, <laughs> it is, it is wow. <laughs> I I really loved uh, you know, being with you guys again and looking forward to resuming our regular uh, podcasting and now in twitching and YouTubing concurrently. So now with um, more cats. Always fun. Yeah, more cats. <laughs> yes, the Sanctum Scorn podcast now with more cats. Because Bob and Jen now with more cats. No, 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 no. Mark, feel free to bring your kids. <laughs> down there somewhere special guests every week yes yes exactly <laughs> come, come for the discussion stay for the cats so thanks a lot everybody have a wonderful night be inspired bye guys bye you have been listening to the sanctum Secorum podcast
Sanctum Media.